Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello again and welcome to the Dear Joe Game podcast with SJ, Sarah Jane Drummy in Madrid and Eva B. Eva Brithisle in London. Thanks for joining us. Jay, you had a successful birthday party for Lewis yesterday. Hurrah! It is nothing short of a Christmas Easter miracle. <laughs> Isn't it always? <laughs> I mean, don't you always just feel so relieved when a child's birthday party is over and it's been done? Yes. Like, oh my God. It is. So, well, we have experiences of it not going that way. Before I even got pregnant, Ellie said to me, Okay, I'm happy to have a baby, but we're going to make a deal here and now. I am never, ever going to a children's birthday party. <laughs> and we shook on it. We shook on it. And since that deal, he has never attended a child's birthday party. Because we're now at a place where it generally... No, they're horrendous. They're just horrendous. You can't bear them. Enormously. It makes me feel ill. Even discussing it, I feel ill. I've always loathed them. Loathed them. But Nelly, very smart. I mean, that's the best prenup I've ever heard of. It's very good. It's a very good prenup. And everyone knows about it. And they all make a joke of it and are like, oh, my God. That's so... So clever. So clever. Um, but for the fourth birthday party he, Ellie was into it he's like no I'm ready to give him a party now and the, his mother was visiting from uh, from America and he said let's do a pinata and I thought oh, okay. yeah. so we ordered a pinata from a Mexican woman and it was beautiful but we decided that we're just going to have a party in the park where every, all the children gathered every day after school. And we would just, whoever was at the park on that day would just come and we would have a big cake. And, it, and then you're not just inviting certain people. We wanted to make it just celebration. It was the first good day of spring that day and 75, at least 75 children were ah, Jesus. sense of dread because we arrived early to put up the fucking pinata. But <laughs> as soon as they saw it, I know what that is. And I know what's in that. There's sweets in that thing. And it was hanging for a, around an hour so that by the time his class got out of school, there was this like anticipation in the park of the pinata. Oh my God, there's sweets in there. And then other children that weren't even from our school were gathering off streets this is going to go very wrong. And I stood in quite stressed. The majority of Lewis's class, they're only three years of age. They're little babies. So I had to stand in the middle and make an announcement with a stick, 
We didn't even get the ribbons. That would have been clever. No, let's get the stick where they have to slam the thing. And I said, okay, we're all going to take turns if we can all line up. And all the older children are pushing the younger ones in. And there's already a mass movement of children and they're banging it with the it Jesus Christ so, it's such a capital hill about it this it was huh? so dangerous <laughs> <laughs> it was so dangerous and I was standing in the middle of the thing surrounded by children all the parents were looking at me horrified I turned around looking around for Ellie where is Ellie all the blood had drained from his face he was completely white he was in absolute shock he couldn't even moved. Generally very good in a crisis, but we had gone beyond crisis level. Then the stampede of children knocked me to the ground. I was now being walked on by children. Children were weeping. Some other, like four-year-olds were crying. Parents were reaching into the middle to pull their children out to save them from the stampede of children. Lewis was down on the ground. He holds his hand up. I'm trying to make sure he's okay. I can barely breathe. He holds his hand up with a lollipop going, I got one. I got one. It was horrendous. Then it ended. And what seemed like a three-hour moment, it was maybe a minute, because I have videos. And there was this silence in the park afterwards. What, What just happened? And... And Ellie couldn't speak, couldn't actually speak. I went roaring red. My mouth was completely dry. I just went, water, I need water. I need water. It was so stressful. And and all of my friends looked at me and went, oh my God, oh my God. Like the gringos came to town and we ripped the arse out of how to do a birthday but in a really bad way. But now it's become a standing joke between everybody. Oh, will there be a pinata this year? Anyway, the, we walked home. Ellie still hadn't spoken. And he walked into a shop and he came out with a bottle of whiskey in his hand. <laughs> he couldn't speak and I knew to leave him. And we walked home in silence. You know, the walk of shame. Like, And I felt... We blew it like we really blew it. <laughs> and we sat home and he said, I never want to talk about that ever again. <laughs> like, it's really something we can barely mention. It is. <laughs> What's no, really no. making me laugh about that story is I know Ellie and he's the calmest man in the world. So for him to lose his speech and drain, uh-uh. for his face to drain, that's extreme. It was so stressful. And I sent photos. Tell, did Lewis enjoy himself? He did. He, did, he did, know what was he, happening behind the scenes? <laughs> he knew that it was very dangerous. Everyone knew that it was dangerous. Um, <laughs> he talks about it now and says, oh, He knew it was very dangerous. No pinatas. Oh, when we almost killed all the children. That's how, <laughs> how Ellie wow. refers to it. I nearly killed a child at the last Jess's last party. Severe nut and dairy allergy. And I knew this. And we even had the party in the venue that doesn't have any nuts or dairy. I was all over it. And I assured the parents, don't you worry, I am all over this. And I got a certain type of cake for the, as the main cake, little cake pop things. And I had dairy in them. 
and I went out of my way. I got special cake for the for the child with the allergy. And in the melee and the, the chaos of packing up, parents arriving, getting coats, I forgot about the special cake and I gave them cake and a stick going, thanks so much now, off you go, cheerio. Oh, and I was in the car and about 20 minutes later went, oh, oh no, no. And Ross was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I'm, I, he, he might have eaten it. Oh my God, this is awful. I might have killed a child. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I, I had the phone out and I was trying to get hold of the parents and I couldn't, I couldn't, they weren't picking up. And I was like, oh dear Jesus. And I had just, everything was flashing before my eyes thinking, I have literally... I've killed a child. Called the brother of the of the father of that child and said, You've got to get because they were the two kids, the cousins were at, at the party. And I was like in floods of tears, going, You have to get hold of them. Where are they? I've given him the wrong cake. Oh. And he's like, Oh, I'll call. He's very kind. <laughs> back about it. <laughs> this is not, this is serious. And he called back about 10 minutes later, which felt like 10 hours. Oh, he's fine. His cousin was sitting beside him in the car and went, You can't eat that as he was unwrapping it oh, and, uh, and all for the cousin, same age, seven years old. Oh she saved the day. Like I still haven't gotten over it. Yeah, probably. it's very stressful. Yeah. I'm sorry. So stressful. The drop off. So stressful. You know, lads, it's too much responsibility. This, you know, the, the allergies and the this and the that child. It's just, that's yeah, why I was always allergic. The they are your responsibility. You know, yeah. the parents not there. It's up to you to make sure they're okay. Yeah, no, I, I, to be fair, once I got to six, or age six or seven, I never had a big party again. I always kept it to like, you're allowed to have five kids. And that's it. I couldn't handle a big group, uh, even the five. Like I was always still stressed with that. Mm. It'll never be that bad again. It'll never be never that be bad. That no. But you see, as they get older, you don't have parents. Where you yeah, can, you can just see the drop off, and you see the boys are much harder than girls. Like I remember, I used to take like six girls, and we go to you know those fun soap shops. And sure, the girls are grand, but boys are mental. So <laughs> boys have to be outside, like it's a football party usually. Girls are in a soap shop. I love it. Hilarious. Like literally, they you can go to soaps. These, you know those shops where they do shops. Lush, just what you yeah. call it? Lush. Yeah. Lush. You had a lush party. Yeah, I had a station, them on the soap. bus. I hate on the, the bus. smell of lush you're walking down it the street. It literally gives me a migraine as soon as Two, I want to smell it by tension. I two fucking hours in lush with nine other kids <laughs> making soap and see how you like it. Oh, horrendous. Horrendous. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you about an awful night I had the other night. I'll preface it first by saying in my 20s and 30s, I suffered panic attacks. And ongoing and throughout and I'd maybe go through spells where they were bad and then I wouldn't be so bad for a while and I remember it started in my early 20s and then she went right through into my late 30s I'd say um and it took me a long time to figure out what what they were um and this probably you know I'm sure changes of course from person to person but mine was really suppressed feelings and emotions and anxiety, suppressed anxiety, and it would manifest itself in, in, in a panic attack. And it took me ages to, to realize that a panic attack is a way of your body uh, ringing the alarm bell, saying something is wrong, pay attention to me, figure it out, figure out what, what it is. And I did through therapy, I found out what, what it was. And, and they they went, they dwindled, and they finally, they they went away. But they're very, very scary things. You know, in, in the moment when I was having them, it literally felt like there was a, 
a hand around my throat and, and my throat was getting tighter and, and smaller and I couldn't breathe and I'd gasp for air and oh. sometimes I'd have them very very silently I could be in a a cinema and I would the person who beside me wouldn't even know and I'd sort of in my head you know be having these feelings and these sensations and then I'd sort of talk my way down and with time I always knew the only thing that I could keep saying to myself because I knew it somewhere in, in the panic knew it to be uh, true was you are going to come out of this you did the last time you're not because when you're having it you think this is it I'm going to die I'm not going to be able to get another breath into my body oh my god but somewhere back there there's another voice saying but you did come through the last time and you will again and I got it I was able to have them without anybody knowing um it was also in my head and in my body and I didn't and I would have them in places where people you know that were right beside me and they wouldn't be any any the wiser that's how sort of part of my life they became um and, and, and a funny example of one, there's not many funny examples of panic attacks, but I did, I was in a, the only time I've done a spin class and I was in my early thirties and I was actually quite fit then. I went to the gym, pre-kids obviously, and I went to the gym quite a bit and I never went to spin and I went to a spin class and of course there's a dark room and the music is thumping and there's somebody you know shouting at you to turn up the whatever and it's really and you're sweating and there's a crowded room and it's all actually quite stressful and the music's getting louder and you're trying to keep up with it and it was really hard and I started to think oh my god oh my god I can't get I can't actually get enough air in and oh Jesus Christ I think there's a panic attack coming on and because your feet are strapped into the pedals and the spin bikes I was going oh I'm going to have to get off the bike and I went to get off the bike and the feet were still stuck into the straps and I fell on the floor and I couldn't get up and I was going oh, I can't get my breath and so they had to call somebody in who scooped me up and carried me out of the gym room and they carried me into the only place. I don't know why they chose this place maybe they thought that that's the only place they could lie me down was there was a crash in the gym and they brought me into the carry me like this in their arms up in the air carried me into this crash and I'm there going <gasps> trying to calm down and get the air into my lungs and they lay me down on this blow up mattress of like an island like a child's like soft play <laughs> corner of the crash and it was like cornered off with a tiny little gate that you know, toddlers could play in but they kicked the toddlers out and they put me on this blow up <laughs> soft play mattress and covered me with towels and I remember looking over and seeing like these little toddlers like oh, <laughs> over this little gate going who is this crazy lady who's literally lying on her back and oh my god it's spin I can't I should I should have done the spin class I can't I can't right now the you were having a heart attack I thought that I have. I remember they gave me a bag to breathe in and out of. Oh yeah, the brown. Like no, I... well, like yeah, but they gave me a sandwich bag that was a you know, white on one side and clear on the other. You know, we could yeah. see what type of sandwich. <laughs> <you're having>. <laughs> <laughs> so, on one side, you can see my panicking face breathing in and out of this bag. <laughs> the other side is just white. Oh, you actually got, got to my hospital. You know, if you're taken to hospital with a panic attack, they they will tell you to blow into a brown paper bag. To like, blow into oh, yeah, yeah. 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 had that experience but that, yeah um, yeah just but terrifying but i mean i felt more foolish in the the crash in the gym i felt a bit silly afterwards but on the whole there they were very unpleasant things obviously and uh um but i i stopped having them then and um but i had one the other night wow. and got into bed and and what was strange about it was that i didn't recognize what it was because it was different from any panic attacks i'd, I'd had before it wasn't to do with my breathing I just felt 
I think I was on that cusp of falling into sleep. You know, when your, your thoughts kind of start to become slightly dreamlike. Yeah, that almost sort of, you know, in, in your subconscious. Um, and I think I was on that that brink, whether I had, I was had maybe dipped into sleep, but then sort of came around again and felt very confused. I felt like I couldn't sort of get my my thoughts straight, and I felt I felt very discombobulated. And I sat up and I was just like, God, I feel really weird. And Ross was asleep beside me, so I woke up and I go into the bathroom and I went into the bathroom and I wasn't feeling great. And then my heart just started to race, and I felt really really out of it. And scared. I felt very scared and then panicky. But again, like I say, my, my breathing wasn't, I wasn't feeling restricted, didn't feel tightness in my throat. So I didn't recognize it as a panic attack. So I thought I was going mad. I thought something, if anybody, if either of you, I know one, one of you may have, you know, had a little smoke of a spliff over the years. Yeah. It was like I have, which I experienced a lot of whiteies yeah. in my teenage years, trying to keep up with the boyfriend who liked the spliff. And yeah. just I just threw whiteies all the time. Yeah. Didn't suit me at all. It was like a whitey. It was where I just felt, yeah. oh, geez, I feel like I've gone out of your to, mind. Out of, out out of out my of mind. Body. Do you yeah. feel like, yeah, yeah. And you feel a bit crazy. I just think I'm not. And I started thinking, how am I going to look after my kids? Maybe this is it. Maybe I'm going to be stuck like this. What? And the more, you know, it was sort of, I was sort of overanalyzing what was happening to me in the bathroom. And, and I started thinking, what about when I go away in my next job and I'm in a hotel room and this happens to me, what am I going to do? And my heart was racing. I thought, I'm going to have to go and get, I have to wake Ross up. And I went and I woke him up and I was just like, I just feel really weird. And I burst into tears. Mm-hmm. As soon as I said it out loud, I burst into tears. And he was great and talked me down. Put some needles in, in, in me as well, which was amazing because I just sort of, I think just my, I could literally feel my heart slowing down to a normal pace. And I just, and he just slowly started, you know, he just kept talking me around, talking me around, calming me down. And I came out sort of the other side of it. And I was just like, I don't know what that was. It was really scary. And it wasn't really until the next day when I was talking to my one of my dearest friends, Paul, who's also happens to be a psychotherapist. I'm very lucky I have these amazing people in my life that have these <laughs> incredible jobs that they can bring all their love, but all their ex- expertise to the table as well. And I told him what happened and he said, he just nailed it. He said, what interests me, he said, what, what stands out is the fears you were having in the bathroom, which were, how am I going to look after my kids? What's going to happen from away? And I feel like, I feel like this. And when we pulled it apart and spoke about it, it was, again, like I'd experienced years before, it's suppressed anxiety. What am I, you know, I've got a, a job coming up. I haven't worked for, you know, a year and a half. I'm, le- I'm going to be leaving my children. Who's going to look after my children? And I thought I was capable of acknowledging the day-to-day stresses. Yes, it's stressful when you've got a job coming up. Yes, but I'm doing this and, I've got, and I have to do this and it's a pain. But, I, but I, you know, these are the day-to-day stresses. But that's only acknowledging 20% of it. It's then thinking about, but how is that stress making me feel? Mm. How am I, how am I, how does that manifest itself? Am I talking about my fears in that? And I realized I was sort of trying to manage everybody else's fears, you know, trying to get everything sorted for the kids and set up for Ross and assure him that I'll be, the dates will work and everything will be okay. But actually I wasn't thinking about how stressful am I finding this? How stressful do I find it being away from the kids? How stressful do I find it going back to work and not knowing what it's going to be like? And then I just felt this massive weight lift mm. from my shoulders and think it's it's reminding ourselves how important it is to A, talk about it when you're feeling anxious, is to as soon as it's 
as you as you've named it and brought it out to the open it takes so much of this the anxiety away but then to really pick it apart and, and say but how is this affecting me forget about all the exterior stuff what is what is this doing to me what are my fears it's not just my daughter having separation anxiety i'm going to have separation yeah. anxiety and that's okay that that's normal and just really made me think of people during lockdown who aren't as lucky as we are that have loved ones beside them day in day out or people they can talk to how you know i i didn't experience loneliness in, in in lockdown i don't know what that was like but the importance of whoever of, of being able to reach out to whoever it is be it your gp because you don't live with somebody or your next door neighbor whatever but that human connection how essential it is when you're when you're struggling it just i it just rem, sort of highlighted to me how fortunate we are but how important it is to always always talk about what's what's worrying you what's yeah. what's troubling you no matter how great or how, how small it's our it's it's all it's that's all mental health and as soon as i did it it's just it's it's it melted away you know this you still have the day-to-day -day stresses but but i know i know what that was now and the relief is tremendous because of it think even that you didn't recognize it as a panic attack because it had been so long since you'd had one I think it had been so long, but also it, it presented itself in a different way. I mean, there had, there was lots, it was all physical and mental stuff going on, but I had any panic attack I'd have before, I'd, it would, I, I couldn't, it would always be a breathing thing for me and then a tightness of the throat. Um, and that's just not how this one starts. This one started very much in my head, is very cerebral, very much do my thoughts and feeling like I was out of it. And as a result, my heart rate absolutely picked up. I remember feeling my heart was like banging in my chest, but it was it was very very much in my in my head for the for the most part, and that I hadn't experienced before, you know. But it made sense then when I was speaking to to my pal the next day. It's just like, oh my god, I'm actually super stressed and carrying around a lot of anxiety, and I forgot to talk about it. I forgot to acknowledge it to myself. Yeah, you're thinking because about everybody else. And... Yeah, assuring everyone around you that this is, I'm going to make this work. And I have guilt about going to work. Exactly. I'm I need to convince you. Hand, but I'm not going to assure, you know, I'm going to deal with my own stress all by myself. It's what we do. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It is what. Yeah. Because you're the one who's leaving, because you the, you're the one who has to go away to work. And it's it, there is that sense of responsibility to make sure that the transition between you going back to work is as seamless as possible. But of course, it's never seamless. It's stressful yeah. and it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. You have all of the moving house, finding nannies for the children and making sure that Ross's day-to-day -day works. Eventually, of course, it's all going to come to a head. So I'm really glad that you... We're able to see that, and sounds like you, yeah, like you unpacking it with Paul is is a, was obviously a very smart and brilliant thing to be able to do. But my God, it sounds absolutely terrifying. And but isn't it amazing that we can get to that stage, you know, or I can, um, thinking that you're dealing with stuff because you're still talking about stuff, but you're not talking about all the stuff, you know, and the stuff, the stuff that really matters and affects you, you know, and, and it, to such an extent that your body then goes, as you were saying it, I was thinking about all of the things that I'm suppressing, <laughs> or I was thinking about all of the little niggles and going, oh, that's probably because of that. I could hear, I know exactly where you're coming from, because mm. we've all experienced the going out to work and leaving toddlers behind and it's Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have to like we won't all experience panic attacks. I think you have to. No, you know, no. that, that is not, you know, it, It's it, 
yeah, that is. But I think you can still be suppressing anxiety, and and it never comes out in panic attacks. But the suppressing of it anyway is still causing some stress to your body. It can come sure. out in another way. Yeah, either by getting sick or by getting yeah. you know your how you handle a situation or or whatever. So it's just it's just it's it was just having that, that huge reminder of the importance of, of talking, talking about the scary stuff, talking about the fears. Sure. And do you feel that you have looked at head on now and and are understanding? Are you being kinder to yourself perhaps this week as um, a result? Yeah, I think I I have it's reminded me that sounds really, really I don't, not sure I like this expression, but to check in with myself. Yeah. You know? And to check in with myself every day. But but to really, you know, ask myself, is there something is there anything else? Is there anything else that's bothering me? Is there any, what, or what, or what's really, what's really going on? Is, is that the issue? Is that the stress? Or what, how else does that affect me? So I think it's just, it's really, which I, I think we're, we have busy lives. And also I think we can be dismissive of ourselves because we're spending so much time looking after others as, as mothers, as working mothers, as keeping all the plates spinning that we forget to go, how really, how am I? And also, you know what? We're just coming out of, of a pandemic. So maybe the things that we were able to do before to release that stress and anxiety, we haven't really been able to do a huge amount. Yeah, of, I think you know? that's a really good point. And I, I, I don't actually think we fully uh, know how quickly we'll be able to get back into the routine or get, get back up to speed with what mm. we did previously. I, I, I was thinking last night about getting back on stage again and I couldn't fathom it. Getting back sure. on stage, you stand up and I said, I, I can't even picture it. I just, I just can't imagine what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's so interesting, that, isn't it? It's into the work as well, you see. You're jumping into the job and you're going 18 months, you know, 18 months. Yeah. But know. also jumping into a job when things aren't entirely in the clear either. There's, you know, things where the situation on set will be different to how it normally yeah. is. Yeah. So there's the element of the unknown, uncertainty which I think Im- immediately makes people feel unsafe. Yes. And I can't quite picture that because I don't know how it's going to be like. I knew how it was before, but I don't know how it's going to be like now. And be that doing, you know, your stand-up up on stage or, you know, shooting your next movie or on set acting. She's like, that used to be the place that I knew where everything happened. Yes. And now I haven't been on the set since COVID. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know what my traveling from here to Budapest is going to be like next yeah. month. Or I don't have, you know. So th- those uncertainties certainly add to to all the stress and, for sure and also you would have seen Paul yeah. more you do rely yeah. on our friends more but we're not actually in a position to see our people no. as often that's right we usually yeah. go out for a spot of lunch and you're able to vent but all this with yourself. You know? it's, that, that essentially is checking in with yourself you just do yeah. it with mates and also I think you know we, sh- we shy away from the stuff that we're most scared about you know so that's the stuff that I don't realise I'm actually really feeling because it's a scary stuff. It's 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 you know we don't we don't like to admit that we're feeling really vulnerable or that we're feeling scared about what we're about to do or the worries about your children. Okay, <laughs> I mean nothing compares them. Nothing compares with them. I mean any of mm-hmm. my sleepless nights, I can more or less guarantee have been an anxiety about my kids uh, and and you know a worry about either my not being around and it could be the most basic thing of did I leave. The vegetables with the potatoes with the thing for the dinner. Did I leave everything exactly there? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly where it is. 
and their details yeah. and you die now and are they going to run out of milk and I don't think I left Daniel Jackson mm. but I know it's going to be cold tomorrow mm. and he might and that's a constant and that's a constant conversation is, isn't it yeah constant <clears throat> it's the biggest contributor I would say to any of my anxieties ever you're, you're, mm. and that is just mm. and I, I don't care I, I don't care what anybody says in this relation to this argument men are amazing I married a good one I think we all got lucky in fact with our partners and they are very hands on but they don't do this. I have not seen Steve toss and turn about tomorrow's dinner or the fact that <laughs> will not have a coat or that, that, that this might happen or that that might happen. Whereas I am cat, what's the word? Catastrophizing. 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 <laughs> right. Thank you for the hat. Catastrophizing. 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 Thank you. Um, they don't do it to the same extent. So that no, has to be a mother nature thing. That has to yeah. be a maternal. It there's there's no there's just no. It's just not the same. It's not the same. No, I agree. Not that he doesn't have the same ad, uh, love for his children because he does and adore the pound for sure. and worry about them. Of course, it's not to the level of detail that I'd be mm. doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's pretty, that's pretty accurate, actually. It is. Because they, don't, they, don't, they don't have, they don't have the, the mental checklist that, that we go through, the, the play date or the after school club, whatever, because that, that's not on the checklist. They will, of course, care and love them to the same extent and are as hands on in, 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 in all, all the other ways. But the checklist, the mental checklist isn't on their day to day. When I went away for the jobs that I would do initially when we first arrived here, like that, I know I'm going to be gone for a week. And Lewis was only three at the time. And I bought underwear that had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday on the underwear. And I said to Ellie, not for me, <laughs> for Lewis, <laughs> for Lewis. <laughs> and uh, I want to make things as simple as possible. So this is the underwear. And I turned them around so that, you know, it was facing this way so that going overboard and Ellie just looked at me and went you have to stop like you have to calm down because that's not going to happen like crazy lady you just back off <laughs> what goes on at home while you're away is a boy's thing we do our own thing our own way and it is cool and it's sure enough we will wear I Sunday's pants on Wednesday like all that <laughs> and, like, and now when, when I go away Lewis goes huh, because Ellie wanted to set up a feeling that when mom goes away, it's not a bad thing, that they do different things, but they do it their way and it's not so structured and organized. But, well, know. I used to be very envious um, and, I, and I probably I won't be popular for this thing, but I was always very envious of my fellow colleagues, my comedians, because I was... For about a decade, I was always the only woman at work. So no matter, no matter what club I went to, I was always the only female comic. And a lot of the times, uh, now many of them have, have kids and loads of kids and they're great dads. But when we went down the road, I just knew that they didn't have the same worries because they were leaving a mother in the house who was all over it. And even though I felt perfectly safe, as I said, I've, you know, I've got a very hands-on, well-able, capable husband who did it graciously and well. But that didn't take away from my constant overthinking and preempting problems and trying to solve. And they didn't do that. They went to work. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. They just went to work and were very relaxed about leaving their partners to do the parenting while they were at work. My headspace was not the same. No, I had the same when I was um, on the show that I was doing in Budapest. Every I went over every year for either a few weeks or a couple of months at a time. So the first year I was there for a good four months, I brought Jesse with me as preschool. And the same the, the, the following year after that. So the kids always came with me, really. I think I left them behind once or twice. They had quite a young cast, and they well, actually, they didn't mix cast. But I was the only mother in the cast. All the other girls were younger, but there's lots of men the same age as me. So I was there doing the night shoots, you know, thirteen hour days, getting home, then getting up at six o'clock with my child, uh, having had three hours sleep, going to set, doing thirteen hours, coming home, and the guys, they all had their families back home. And we're on a, a, just a jolly. There's like, I'm what? shooting. I'm in Budapest. Their families are back home. They weren't going to see them for three months. And they were delighted for the most part. Well, no. Then, of course, they miss their families. I'm, I mean, I'm being silly. But, but, but there, was no, there was no dad. No dad brought their child. No dad brought their child. That, no. would, that, would, they would, that would never happen on a set. You yeah. know? I think one of the guys, their wife, came over with the kids. But the, the rest of the time, the dad's came and they did the job on, on on their own i was very happy to have my child there don't get don't get me wrong but it was just that the balance was just all out you know of course i i noticed in all my working life i i couldn't help notice that i mm. was wanting to get home because there was an early thing or there might be a child up and my male colleagues who had children just didn't have the same stresses just were very happy to leave it to the partners now i did have to learn over the years i mean i did learn from other friends who said to me stop doing that you know you're enabling this problem you're you're part of the problem you need to pull back you know so like ellie ellie is absolutely right you need you need stop and very wise to say you need to stop doing that it did work it made me go okay i see where he's coming from yes as you wish yeah and i, <laughs> I, I do have to say it's a, yeah to myself you're doing this you're doing this. There's nobody is making you prepare every dinner. Nobody is making you write down and they will survive. He will feed them. Yeah, yeah. He will feed them. He might go to McDonald's. He might order a pizza. Who gives a shit? Like, the perfect, nice, special chicken with a decent potato. Nobody actually cares. It won't affect the child. There'll be no malnutrition. Stop doing it. Stop being a control freak. So there is... No, it's hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of those reins. <laughs> it's a really natural instinct, isn't it? It's, yeah, a, it's a it is. Absolutely. Instinct. It's just in there and you have to fight against it and teach yourself to let go mm -hmm. of it. Bloody hell, it's hard. Yeah. 
I was reminded, Eva, when you described that panic attack, which I, I know I'm going to dream about later. It just seems so frightening. I was just remembering that, you know, you, I, we all heard about panic attacks for years. The first time I remember seeing them, like on television, was Tony Soprano. Do you remember Tony Soprano had those panic attacks? <laughs> <laughs> I remind you, Tony Soprano. I'm the spit of him. The Forbes 400 list came out last week. Here's the, the statistic that uh, fascinated me. The percentage of global wealth held by women, listen to this, will have jumped by 15% in the year 2000 to 55% by 2030. So that yes. essentially means we'll be wealthier than men by 2030. Proper order. We, as in we three, are we three. In that. We'll be on that list before you know it. <laughs> I just what do we do with that. our millions? That's the question. I'm fascinated, though, that women's wealth in ten, no, yeah, in thirty years can jump from fifteen percent global to fifty-five. Yeah, that, but that's a testament to the times. So now that not permission has been granted, but but it is being taken. And yes, women will be running the world at some point, you know, 30 years beyond that. But it's fascinating yeah. to me because it's all happening in a very relatively short period of time. One of the biggest reasons for it is contraception, that, that women are, can it's decide. It's so long to get to this point, though, that it's now we're, we're sort of at, at, a, at a pace where it's all, we're trying to make up for lost time, I suppose. But we, it took us such a dreadfully long time to get to this stage didn't it oh and there's still a way to go i mean there's still a gender play gap like it's not all fixed there's still a bit of a fight but um sure. fascinating to me that you know we've got the head of the world bank and that there are you know there are women in charge really look at Cynthia Ardern and what she's doing and leaders of the world and all this. Mm. it's just yeah amazing. yeah both are all the countries that managed the best during the coronavirus were all run by women but isn't it also just how fast the world is moving and how fast things are progressing? The difference between growth, whether or not it is economical or industrial, 15 years from now is so much faster than 15 years, 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And also the, the wealth is growing. Well, the interesting fact about the billionaires from, from the Forbes list as well is that um, they all gained in, in the COVID year. So you're, you're thinking maybe in 2020, that was a dud year for them. No, all of the, all of their businesses, they were all up by their stocks and shares were all up by about 40%. So yeah. Jeff Bezos' his wife, uh, she is one of the richest women in the world now, but thanks to their divorce and has pledged to give most of it away. But she's given away 6 billion last year. And this year she's richer. She still, she has more money. But they all the are. But that's it. I mean, Bill Gates has been giving oh. away money for half of his life and he's richer than he's ever been. You can't, money attracts money. You can't so the, interest, the interest that you earn on a billion pounds must be, that in itself is a huge amount of money, isn't it? So if you're earning that on every... I think it's something like 65. If 65 of those billionaires be together could, could solve, they, mm -hmm. could, they could eradicate world hunger. 60 yeah. 60 it's just like pull your fucking finger out and do it then 
I know, I know. This is the this is the question. This is the questions I'm always asking them, and I'm always trying to fathom their wealth and just just to fathom it. But know. so much of their wealth, though, is caught up with stocks and shares. Yeah. But they but do a have lot a lot of it in their accounts, and they are scientists in their offshore accounts. A certain number of billions of dollars just sitting that could be spent. It's fascinating to me that the world mm. is so radically unequal and just mm-hmm. the, the wildness of it. But anyway, I wanted to ask you if you knew any billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I do. Uh, a couple. There you go. She knows them. Can't tell you who they are. I'm not telling you who they are. I can say <laughs> How do they live? Tell me about their lives. Are they very happy? It's all relative. Yes, you know, that's I honestly, I do believe that no matter how much money you have, it's all relative to to your relationship with money Mm. and if you have made your money after grafting and grafting and grafting for years you're going to live very differently to someone who has always had it and i think that's the mindset that is very different in each of is when you work for um you worked with people who are very wealthy it won't we won't say who um what was your what did you observe? Did you like the way they lived? What What did you take away from watching that? Everything has to be managed. You have a team of people working for you. So you are constantly managing the people who manage your life. And that's not fun either, you know, and no, I understand. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want people in my house either, but you need people in your house to manage your life. So it's not that it's plain sailing at all. It is when you end up going on holidays and you're surrounded just with your family. Um, but the day-to-day takes a lot of management and you, you've constantly got a stream of people coming. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that, that can take its toll on you, you know? You don't want to be dealing with people. You want to just be hanging out in your house, but you've got people who help you, think- you manage your life. Do you think there's the same appreciation for stuff and things and experiences when you're that wealthy? It depends. It really depends on the people. Like, I I know that even amongst the uber wealthy, it's just this kind of strange dichotomy of we're happy with what we have because what we have is normal so this is the thing that this is what interests me so wealthy people surround themselves with wealthy friends yeah so that is their normal yeah and that is but they didn't all come from that so how do you forget how do you lose sight and you know let, let's take Gwyneth Paltrow as the perfect example right this girl just absolutely blows my mind mm. when she is so um, when she makes statements or she promotes something or she does something that is so blatantly uh, can only appeal to one percent of the world's population. Right? <laughs> For example, she gave a parenting tip on her Goop website, which was to entertain your children, hire a sushi chef to come to your home to teach your children to make sushi. Right, and the rest of the world is thinking. When I can take my kids to a sushi restaurant, I'm thrilled, thrilled that I can afford to take them out for sushi. Even that is is privileged. But her presumption is that we can all afford to hire a chef to come to our home to make sushi for our kids. I'm just gobsmacked that 
that she can put that out there and have no qualms, no no kind of do I sound understanding. But, she, but she's speaking to the choir. She's speaking to her followers, and she has enough followers. That's exactly. She's not speaking to us. She's not talking to us. She doesn't. She doesn't give a shit about us because we're not buying into the brand, right? We're not. That's true. But the sad thing is, her choir is us. Like we're, you're talking hundreds of thousands of followers who are aspiring to her lifestyle, right? They want. Sure. Yeah, and that's the whole, I think, what happens with Instagram as well, isn't it? You have this insight in these little snapshots of people's amazing lives, be it the Gwyneth Paltrow's or whatever, living in Malibu and incredible mansions and on holidays, wherever. And we like to look at those things. And I'm not saying necessarily we, we, but possibly the majority, look at those people and they either aspire to be them or wouldn't that life be lovely or have their imagined, fantasized life, you know, looking like that. People have the followers, whether they're income they're on or lifestyle they lead people want to get a little insight into that kind of lifestyle they find it fascinating we mm. find it fascinating some of the time so there's a picture of and this month's must-have item on this website is a 600 dollars bathrobe oh. <laughs> so now i'm thinking yeah. how many of the choir are buying the robe you know what i mean sounding really mean-spirited i have to say to you i love wealth like, I think it's a wonderful thing. It gives you freedom and power and you can help so many people. That's part of the attraction of it, I think. But I, mm. I'm not against wealth. I'm against poverty. But uh, yeah, so th that's all. I'm just, I'm not, not being mealy. My cheese had loads of money and I don't. No, it's but I, I, will, I will say that I feel very lucky to have had the experience of being involved to that level of wealth um, and understanding myself then having come out of it to go, actually, that's not for me because mm. it is very rare that's that you get to look right. behind the veil where you spend your whole life going, oh, my God, I would love this and I would love that. And it was so liberating for me to be able to say, you know what, this has been wonderful. I got so much from this. I've learned so much about the world and about myself and the things that are important to me. And, and this is not it. And that was the gift. Mm. There is, of course, a level of wealth that I aspire to. We all do. But what I thought I aspired to is not it. That was great oh. to come away with. Yeah, I, I think that is the most wonderful result that you could possibly have to have lived around and watched and experienced wealth and come away with a, you know what, that's that's not for me. I just think that's something really, that is a gift. It's very it, is, it is a gift because you can spend your whole life and have this, you know, dream, of course, that you that you might someday have a chance to see what that world is like um, and and I'm so grateful that I had that chance and then to be able to say, OK, I know that this is not for me and this, these are not the kind of things that I want to be doing with my life. Um, because then you can get on with what you really want to be doing and, and understanding yeah. the things. And also for me, it was really the type of mother I wanted to be. I'm not saying that we all do things differently depending on the, the circumstances that we create for ourselves. But I knew that I really wanted to be more hands-on than I would allow myself if I was working at a very, very high level. You have to give that responsibility over to somebody else. And that, I realized, for me, was 
this isn't for me. Um, That's a, it's, it's a very big sacrifice, isn't it? And it it's, is. It's, yeah, it's weighing weighing up what, what what's more important or what what you what you want. Well, not to comment against women who work because we all work and we're all mothers. It's about the management. It is security and management and all all of the things that come with that amount of money. My my relationship to money is, I think, the greatest luxury is to have enough money to not be worried about money. Yeah. So apparently it's 60 grand. Yeah, I remember reading, it was a couple of years ago as well when I read that article, so maybe the figures changed slightly, but they estimated for happiness with in regards to how much you need to earn and to take the pressure off, knowing you can pay your bills, not have the financial pressure, but then not have the financial pressure from the other end if you're too wealthy and you, you know, that's what we just yes. spoke about, that the perfect amount is £60,000 a year where you get by, you can pay what you need to pay, you can afford maybe your one holiday a year, but you don't have all the other stresses that come from either not having enough or having too much. That's the that's the that's sweet spot. Yeah. I'm now questioning that figure because what is it based on a family with two children? Is it based on one individual? Oh, like, I think what, one individual. It? But what if you have a couple of kids, as we all do? Or even our one kid, where you have a family, is that 60, 60 grand a year still supposed to work no matter how many kids you have? That doesn't make sense. No, I think you definitely need to two, double up. <laughs> two earners. You need two. So, okay. Double income. Okay. So, uh, double income, yeah. no kids, no. Double income, two kids, I'd say. <laughs> double income, like, no kids. Ooh, that'd be double nice. Double income, two kids. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast, which is called Don't Panic. And please don't forget to subscribe and maybe leave a little review, but only if it's going to be a five-star fabulous one. If it isn't, don't bother yourself. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.